Sometimes the fun begins when the paved road ends. Chevy Silverado 2500 HD is made to work hard and play hard on the road or off. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for details and experience life in HD. Collegiately speaking. And we're underway. Needs a block on the picker. He gets it. And will he go the distance? Yes, he will. As the Hokies deliver the dagger here in Tallahassee. Intercepted by the Wildcats. The Wildcats win. Unbelievable. Here's Collegiately Speaking, your one-stop shop for college football news. Collegiately Speaking. With Dave Eddy and former Northwestern quarterback Dan Person. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountain? Collegiately Speaking. Welcome to Collegiately Speaking, our weekly look at what's happening around college football in the Big Ten with an eye on the Northwestern Wildcats. Dave Ennett with former Wildcat quarterback Dan Persa. Super Joe Romano will join us with his predictions later on, and we will visit with one of Dan's former teammates, good old number 10 with the Wildcats, Brian Peters. But uh, the Cats... Picked up a much-needed conference win on Saturday over the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, 21-7. Obviously, we broadcast the game here on WGN, and Dan, you had a chance to watch him on Saturday. And, boy, it you can't say it enough that that was the kind of performance that, A, was, I think, more in line with what was expected of this team, but but B, was really, really something they needed to have happen. Yeah, and as we talked about before, against a pretty good team in, in Rutgers, the, the record might not show it, um, but they're they're a solid group. They're well-coached. Coach Seattle has, has them playing really well. And to your point, I thought it was you know their most complete game, both on offense and defense. Didn't really make any major mistakes out of a, outside of a couple big plays, um, but I thought they played great. Uh, really across the board, and, and like you said, something they really, really needed going into a tough test at Michigan this weekend. You know, I've been just really impressed, and granted, they had a bye week in between, and you know, when you lose a game like you had the Nebraska game, 56-7, to you kind of wonder, Dan, with a game like that lingering, what's, the, what's that going to do to a team during that off week in particular? I mean, they're still on the practice field, but still it's a lot of time to sit there and simmer, and it appears that uh, they took it and just said exactly what Fitz told them, which was Control-Alt-Delete, and they deleted it and just kind of regrouped and came up with their best performance of the season. That's not very easy to do, is it? No, it's a hard thing to do, and, and you probably felt it uh, coming back from Nebraska on the plane and, and just around the team you know, in the, in the following days. It's, there's, a, there's a serious hangover to a beatdown like that, and I think you know, having a, a bye probably helped you know, just get their frame of mind correct and, and reset things and figure some things out on, on defense and then you know, get, get things together on offense, and they, they came out and executed really well. Um, so it's, it's really not a small feat, like you said, and, and I'm sure Fitz was, was really pr- proud of the leadership on the team because that's where it really starts and ends, right? You know, there's, there's a, there's an attitude and there's, you know, a mood in the locker room and, and obviously someone took control of that and, you know, executed very well on Saturday. You know, one thing that I think, well, a couple of things that maybe got lost in the aftermath of the game. One, Northwestern's offensive line, you had three guys go out during the course of that Nebraska game, and 
actually, I think it might have been four. And and although two of the backups were unable to play this past week against Rutgers, all five starters were back up there and good to go. And I, I thought, really, the line played one of its better games of the season. Yeah, agreed. You know, the rushing stats might not have showed it, but I thought, right. you know, they, they protected Ryan really well, and, and there were some big plays from the from the running game, and, and Coach Jake stuck with it, um, and it really opened up things on the play-action and jet-sweep play-action game. Um, so I agree. I think they played really well. They, they kept Ryan clean for, for the most part. Um, and again, Rutgers is a solid defense. There's, there's really no getting around that. It's not like you're, you're playing a, a one double A team. They're a solid Big Ten team that just, you know, was coming off playing some of the best teams in the conference and country. And, and the other part of that was, uh, certainly Ryan Holinsky looks like he's getting more comfortable. This was his third start. What have you seen from him so far? Yeah, I think the first thing that jumps out is just his leadership. Um, you could, you could kind of see that in some of the off-season stuff he's working on with, with his off-the-field things. And then just, just kind of his, his attitude on the sideline and the way he interacts with players and, and you know, just, just the energy he brings. Um, so I think that's, that's really important um, because no, no offense to some other folks, you know, specifically Hunter, I think that was a little bit lacking um, from the leadership and camaraderie standpoint. And then he's, he's got all the talent, talent in the world. He's a really talented guy, high, highly rated recruit, um, you could see he processes things really well, moves through his progression really well, and then he has arm talent to, to make any throw. So I think as he gets more experience like anybody else, he's going to become a, a really good package. Um, you know, I think his mobility he'll, he'll continue to work on, but you know, there's, he's a ver- very solid pocket passer, and the more he plays, I think he'll, he'll continue to rise among the ranks in, in the Big Ten. You know, another thing I liked against Rutgers – they lose Bryce Kurtz, their second leading receiver, to an injury on Thursday in practice. So he can't play. But I thought the the wide receivers as a group, and I had to th- throw the tight ends in too, but that receiving core, I thought, really helped Hilinski out, made some real nice catches. And I think you can see there's some confidence there. Stephon Robinson Jr., not only gets to the ball, he's going to make every effort to catch it. And obviously, there were maybe one or two throws that were headed to the sidelines, tough catches, but at least he forced the issue with the replay, right, where they had to take a look at it to see whether he came down with it. And and the play that Malik Washington made on the touchdown, the 64-yard touchdown, I thought that's the kind of thing, that, that extra effort there that turned it into and turned it into a home run for Northwestern. And then a guy like J.J. Jefferson, who hasn't played all year, comes in and makes some big catches for him. I think that can have residual effects for an offense and benefits for an offense going forward when you're getting contributions from all those guys. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, like we talked about before, Stephon Robinson Jr., he's he's not one that lacks confidence, and I think he's made – you know, a ton of big plays early in this season. And, and like any other position, the more confidence you get at wide receiver, the more contested catches, the more tackles you're going to break, uh, the more big plays you're going to make. And that gives everyone on the offense more confidence. And, and to your point, it's kind of a snowball effect and a flywheel that once that get, gets going, it, it lets Ryan unleash a little bit more of the one-on-one 50-50 balls, makes the running backs run harder, it makes the line block harder. It, it's just once that starts spinning, it's hard to slow it down. And Northwestern's starting to get there. And I think that's, that's what they really needed um, 
against Rutgers and, and more specifically heading into a, a big test at Michigan is just an offense that, that is, you know, has a lot of different weapons and can beat you a lot of different ways and, and has the confidence to do so. All right, we're joined now by former Northwestern safety and NFL safety, uh, NFL linebacker, right? Brian Peters. Yes, sir. Yeah, you're yes, you're a linebacker, weren't you, in Houston? Yeah, I, I evolved through my time in the CFL and with the Vikings into somewhat of a linebacker slash special teams demon. Well, we, I like that, the official title, Special Teams Demon, but that's what you were. Uh, good to welcome Brian Peters to Collegiately Speaking. And uh, first of all, Brian, uh, bring us up to date uh, with what you're up to today. Uh, I'm all over the place, but uh, I've, I've started a performance company called MindStrong Project where we coach like breathwork, mental skills, and like natural movement and living. And then I have a podcast I just jumped out called Chasing Edges, so I got I got a lot going on that I'm I'm still posted up here in Columbus, Ohio, um, doing some coaching with um, Ohio State smaller sports and then uh, just some one on one stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm active. All right. Well, let me introduce you to. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever met, but former Wildcat quarterback Dan Persa. Dan, <laughs> what's going on, BP? Uh, not much. Yeah, me and yeah, Dan go way back. We've. Uh, We've lived together in multiple locations uh, and competed wholeheartedly through summers and seasons. Man, he's uh, he's still one of my favorite Northwestern players of all time. Unfortunately, yeah, we don't we don't have to get too far into that. But thanks thanks for joining joining us, Brian. And yeah, Dave, Brian's not really a nine to five guy. He's more of the, one of those guys that has like twelve different jobs, and, and he is professional ADD, as we like to call it. Uh, but Brian, thanks thanks for joining us. Um, Diving into the Northwestern defense, maybe taking a step back, obviously losing Hank last year or this year is, is, you know, a big blow. There's still a lot of talent on defense. So maybe talk a little bit about kind of what Hank brought to the table as a coach, um, what you learned from him, what what he meant for kind of the stability of the Northwestern defense. Yeah, Hank was phenomenal. And, like, I think one of the things that made him great was his the simplicity of his defense. Like, his defense schematically over time did not change that much. He was more the, this is what we do, we do it great, and you got to line up and beat us. you got to beat our players, and you got to beat this scheme that's very sound on paper. And I think that uh, compounded with his consistency and the ability to be at Northwestern for, how, I don't know, at least 10 years. How long was he there? Well, more yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah more, more than that. Yeah. Yeah, so like that, like that consistency of not only like his coaching, his voice, his message, but it's his his technique and his scheme um, ingrained in players for the four or five years they're there is very powerful, and um, I think that's what he brought to the table. Like he he made you beat us not not only on paper but in technique, and then that's where a lot of the stuff when you do transition, not only coaches in your room as like a linebacker or a safety, but schematically, um, that's where there is there's necessary time to transition and learn not only for this one-year class, but for the next four or five years, that consistency of message, technique, reps, and just time involved is absolutely massive for success. From a player's standpoint, is there kind of a serious letdown when you lose a leader like that? Right, There's, Northwestern's defense is still pretty talented, you know, man-to-man. They obviously struggled earlier in the year. But, you know, just mentally and, and kind of personifying Northwestern defense, is that, a, is that a big letdown for the guys, do you think? I wouldn't call it a letdown because I can't, like, I don't know Jim O'Neill personally. I don't know what his message, like, like his enthusiasm, like his experience, technique on each position. 
I do know he comes from a, a longer lineage of NFL coaching. And from my perspective, the difference between one, not just college players and NFL players ability, but it's also their mental capacity. And that's why I think like the simple, like, f- like fundamental, like technique, sound technique, where to set the edge, how to set the edge. How do you like, how do you add pressure um, in, in a sound nature? I think applies is, is massive in the college level. And then you can, you can add all these different things with the savages and like the mental acuity of, veteran players in the NFL that have been there for six, seven years, things like that, that can, again, play quarterback on defense as well. So, like, that's the only thing where there, I, there's probably some disparity there. I have no clue. I don't want to speak on something I don't know about. But, um, yeah, I, just the changing of consistency in a coach is always – it's always something new because, like, new is uncertain. Uncertain is, like, there's questions on everything now. There, it's not, like – oh, I've done, like, I'm a junior that has paid my dues and I'm walking into senior year and I know how to play my technique. I know what the coach wants from me. I know the expectations, the standards. This coach gets an opportunity, whether whether he's great or whatever, <laughs> anything else, like, he has to set his standard of performance both in, in scheme and production. So I think that's where there's going to be um, some cool opportunities for him because from the NFL, like, I'm sure he's absorbed some really cool knowledge that when applied – um, consistently will end up being successful. But that's where I see um, the the friction and the, the opportunity. Yeah, and I think letdown is probably the wrong word. I, I was referring to more of a yeah. loss. But, yeah, I, I think that, that makes a ton of sense. From from a player's standpoint, you know, when, when there's a new DC in the room or OC or, or position coach, you know, what, what are the guys thinking? What, what are their first couple steps to really, you know, hit the ground running? And what are the things they have to do to cement, you know, the the – camaraderie and, and the relationships with coaches to deliver on the field? Yeah, it's, it's learning the verbiage first. Like, you need to learn the calls. You need to learn alignment. And then after you get the base verbiage down, again, it all depends on how the coach translates all these things to you, too. Like, I, like I was lucky enough to be with Mike Zimmer and with the Minnesota Vikings, and he taught the entire defense, like the, the safeties knew the defensive line responsibilities, defensive line knew safeties responsibilities. So when the boys stepped off the field, there was no pointing fingers. Everybody knew what happened. So, like, the, the installation of the verbiage um, and, like, the requirements of each person is the first thing because now, like, football is adaptive and everybody in co- college football and pro football now, they run motions. They, they, they change the strength of the offense and the, all those things where now, once you get the fundamentals down, next step, communication, and that's where the camaraderie and everything builds, it, builds in. And that's just, like, again, that's time involved. The guy's like hopefully they they, have, they got this this message and this stuff through spring ball and then they work the hell out of it in the summertime and things like that but it's still it's still a one year like everybody's starting at the same place with this new DC and his again his techniques his communication and then after that like what, the the more time you get in the system now you get the nuance and each player can add their own personal skills to it but for now everybody's on the same learning curve and until you get veterans in there that can lead you through the system too, I think that's massive. So, like, like I don't think anybody should be too um, discouraged with what's going on right now because, like, that is part of football. It's learning and, and accelerating at a new system constantly because there's a coaching carousel that's never going to change. So, I think I think that's the kind of like the step by step for a player, and like that's where you start to get the magic is when you actually have a culture in the defense, in the scheme, and in the communication. And now you can have leaders on the field that aren't overthinking and aren't like too stimulated by like the new unknown uncertainties. They have this level of 
fluency in both the coaches' standards and technique and the scheme, and then also what the guys they're playing with that have been in the system. So I think that's where um, the kind of the players progress and then eventually create camaraderie and, and success. Brian, how many different defensive coordinators would you say offhand that you played for over the years? Uh, I mean, it, I probably. I mean, I played in like six professional football leagues. So, um, <laughs> I, I had uh, I had multiple DCs down in, in Houston. Obviously, I, I was blessed enough to play under Romeo Cornell and uh, Mike Vrabel. Both different coaching styles, different verbiage, uh, similar scheme because Vrabel had a lot uh, underneath of Romeo in his career. But um, and then obviously Hank and Mike Zimmer and all these guys, and then CFL, AFL, UFL, XFL, all this crazy stuff. But um, regardless of the fact, as a player and a pro, it's your responsibility to get all that lingo and that learning and that communication down as fast as humanly possible. And that that's where, um, again, it, everything's like on the coaches, but at the same time, it's on the players and the seniors and the leaders and the team to and the pros, and if you really want to be a great player, you need to take that responsibility and, um, again, be as good as fast as possible. Because I've walked into a bunch of different um, rooms and teams and things like that, and the only thing people respect is knowledge and production. Like, that's the only thing that I I think really holds a bunch of weight and earns you respect with teams and players and, uh, and especially defensive coordinators. I know we got to spring you here in a minute, uh, but real quickly, when you've watched the Wildcats this year, who has caught your eye as far as the defense? Yeah, my my eyes always go to linebacker. I, I like Bergie, man. I think he's a I think he's a player. I, I love the high motor guys, the, the enthusiastic players. Um, like our like our front seven's pretty solid, and then we we got some youth on the back end, but a lot of athleticism, a bunch more than when. Uh, when my myself was running around back there uh, with Brad Phillips and Brennan Smith and David Arnold and people like that, so it's exciting to see the the progress of the team. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm a Bergie fan and I, I'm rooting for him personally. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people are as well. Hey, Brian, we we appreciate your time. Give us the podcast again. Tell us how we can find it. Uh, the podcast is called Chasing Edges. It's on social media under the same name, Chasing Edges, and then. Uh, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, that kind of thing. But it's just, it's a passion project to keep me structured and learning. I, I pump out like book reports and some like um, biohack performance edges and stuff alongside of it on social. But it's really just to, to network and learn from, from humans to try and kind of maximize myself and hopefully share that journey with others. So I'm, I'm excited about it. And then uh, hopefully I'll get up to NU here soon and uh, catch some of the boys on there. But, uh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it, and then uh, also excited to get back to Chicago. It's been too long for me. Well, great talking to you, and I, I hope you've enjoyed meeting Dan Persa. <laughs> yeah, phenomenal humans. He's not very articulate, but great guy. <laughs> hey, right, Brian, there. thank you. We appreciate the time. Easy, boys. Yeah, go catch. All right, should we talk about the Michigan Wolverines this week? And what's in store for Northwestern at the Big House on Saturday? Here, here are a couple of examples. Uh, the Wolverines are averaging 38.5 points a game. That's second in the Big Ten, 14th in the nation. And rushing, they lead the conference 246 yards a game. Uh, they have allowed the fewest sacks in the Big Ten. They've committed the fewest turnovers in the nation. Um should I go on or should I just stop right here? <laughs> yeah, maybe stop. 
And this is a good team. Are they as good, though, I, I guess, as they've they've looked so far? Now, they had a close call in Nebraska, but that was another night game in Lincoln. Nebraska had a lot of juice going into that game after the win over the Wildcats. And and certainly Nebraska had some chances, I think, to, to win that game and and has been their case too often. They've just come up a little short. But Michigan looks like they're a different team this year. Certainly they're a different team than they were in 2020. We know that. But they look like they have finally put things together in Ann Arbor so far this season. Yeah, I think to all those stats you just mentioned, they're just a really solid team, right? They're not going to you know blow anybody away on offense. They're their quarterback, Kate McNamara, hasn't made a ton of mistakes. I think he's only thrown one interception uh, throughout, and they bring in J.J. McCarthy here and there for to mix things up and run the ball. Um, but their running game and their offensive line is really solid. They don't make a ton of mistakes. They control the ball and control the game. Um, and on defense, they're they're just really solid. Uh, their their defensive front seven is is you know they're putting putting as you mentioned pressure on the quarterback seems like every other play. Um, so it's a very solid Jim Harbaugh-esque team that's not super flashy. They're, they're not Ohio State. They're, frankly, maybe not even Penn State, but they're just you know really good opponent that doesn't make a lot of mistakes, which makes it tough. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you know, Northwestern, who, you know, against Rutgers, they didn't make any mistakes, but, you know, in other games, they were a little bit mistake-prone. So, you know, you just, you gotta, it's gonna be a, a heavyweight fight, that's for sure. And and let's, let's also acknowledge the fact that the Wildcats have traditionally been a good road team, but uh, so far this season, their two road tests have not gone well at all. But I think if there's anything that we can learn from last week, Dan, aside from the game at Evanston, is seeing the Purdue Boilermakers go into Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City and not just win, but but really take control of the game against the number two team in the country and a team coming off uh, a huge win just the week before. And I think it, it's a reminder that uh, you you can go in as a prohibitive underdog and you can go in with nobody really giving you much of a chance and you can figure out a way to do it. Purdue did, and that's certainly the challenge this week for Northwestern. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I was very impressed by what Purdue accomplished, by the way, and they've made it into the top 25 now. Uh, Iowa, I think, is they got a bye week this week. That's probably not a bad thing for them coming off that performance. But you know, now you're, you're looking towards November, and this is where you, you want to be in the mix in November, right? And uh, the Wildcats, with most of the Big Ten West opponents still ahead of them, uh, with the exception of Nebraska, they've still got a chance to to be in that picture when the month of November rolls around. So, you know, I don't know if there are too many people who expected that a few weeks ago. Right. No, it's a great point. I think outside of, you know, Ohio State or the other high-powered offenses, you know, anybody's vulnerable. I think Michigan and and Iowa play a similar brand of of football right now that aren't, you know, they're not scoring 100 points. Um, They're just really solid teams. So the margin of error is a little thinner. Um, So if the offense is is slow at Michigan and and Northwestern can – you know, crack some holes in the defense. It'll be it'll be a, a good game. And then, you know, to your other point, you know, the fact that Northwestern could still somehow find themselves in Indianapolis is is frankly shocking. But it's a it's a testament to how how much parity there is in the league. 
No question about that. All right. Speaking of parody and speaking of the league, uh, let's go to Super Joe for this week's predictions. Prediction to say or estimate a specified thing will happen in the future. Super, Super Joe's predictions. predictions. Well, it wasn't pretty last week, but we came away with a push. Indiana probably should have kept it a little bit closer. They had a few chances there in the second half. Well, they had a two-point conversion. Dan, did you see that play, the uh, shovel pass on the two-point play late? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I don't know. Go, go ahead, Joe. So going back to Bloomington this week and uh, where the Buckeyes will travel there for a 6.30 Central Time kick, uh, that's going to be um, the Buckeyes are favored by 20, but I'm actually going to the point total. It is an over-under of 60. The Buckeyes have gone over that total every single game this season, and their offense is rolling now. The last three games, um, Akron, I know that these aren't great opponents, Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland, just on their own, they've scored 59, 52, and 66 points. Uh, This is a team that when they get on a mission, when they find their stride, you better watch out. Their running back, freshman running back from Virginia, Travion Henderson, really um, can, can get, you know, can, can lead this team to greatness. Some people are even talking about him as a Heisman hopeful. So I think the uh, the Buckeyes and the Hoosiers combined for at least 60 points on Saturday. Wow. Okay. Well, I think if you look at what's happened, and you mentioned the, the Maryland game and the Rutgers game. Now, you know, both of those teams were teams that I think were expected to take a step up this year in the Big Ten. And Really, uh, both got off to good starts in non-conference play, and there was a lot of optimism, but it really hasn't happened. Uh, Maryland, I think there was a lot expected that Iowa game, and they kept turning the football over against the Hawkeyes and didn't really give themselves much of a chance in that one. Uh, Notre Dame-USC this week, by the way, too. The Irish coming off a bye week and looking to make a statement against one of their traditional rivals. And we haven't really talked much about them, but Northern Illinois has quietly put a little winning streak together here, and they're playing pretty well. They play at Central Michigan. And how about Illinois at Penn State this week? Uh, Dan, the Illini are coming off a bye week, but uh, so is Penn State coming off that loss in uh, Iowa City. And the the Nittany Lions, it's interesting, they only dropped like, what, uh, a spot or two in the rankings after losing that game, which I think was a testament to Iowa. And Illinois got hammered last time out by Wisconsin, and the Badgers ran all over them. So, I think they're going into a very tough situation this week in State College. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I don't know if you saw uh, the Illinois coach Bielema's, uh comments around their roster, kind of taking a, a, a weird dig at, at his players. So uh, we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> well, meantime, the uh, Wildcats at Michigan. And I, I'm looking forward to it. They haven't played at the big house since 2015. They haven't played in against Michigan since 2018 in Evanston. That was a game they got off to, a, I think, a 17 nothing lead in that game. And then Michigan suddenly got going and ended up taking control of the game. But I think, now, did you play in the game in 08 at uh, Michigan Stadium? Uh, just on special teams. I didn't play quarterback. Okay. Okay, because that was the last time that Northwestern won in Ann Arbor, I believe, and it was a miserable day, rain, snow, wind, (laughs) you name it, and uh, yet I remember Eric Peterman scoring on a long touchdown 
in that game and the the cats coming out of there with a win so we'll see what they can do saturday of course we'll have the game on wgn radio with the pregame beginning saturday morning at ten thirty. and many thanks to brian peters for jumping on with us today thanks to super joe dan nice job we'll talk to you again next week sounds good thanks guys And that'll do it for this week's edition of Collegiately Speaking. We'll talk to you again next time.